Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. Well, how you doing? That's an interesting question, isn't it? We ask that question here in the South, and we mean hello. The anticipation is that somebody else is going to say, how you doing? And we'll say, good, and you move on. But I think now more than ever, that question, how you are doing, is an important question psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually. How are you doing? How am I doing? It was about six months ago when uh, we were told that we needed to lock down in our communities and not have church and stay home and affected businesses. And psychologically, emotionally interpersonally, relationally, and spiritually, uh, this pandemic has had a drastic effect on our human experience uh, and even in our communities. Some recent statistics found that uh, prior to 2020, in 2017 and 2018, about 8.5% of people in America had depression-like symptoms. Things like uh, lethargy, lack of concentration, not able to experience joy, maybe even thinking about self-harm. In June of 2020, that figure skyrocketed from 8.5% to 27.8% of people having depression-like symptoms. That led to a skyrocket in uh, the statistics for the number of people who thought about suicide. In June of 2020, nearly 11% of adults in America contemplated suicide. In uh, that same month, 25.5% of 18 to 24-year-olds. Think about that for a second. 25.5%, a quarter of the people from 18 to 24 in the United States admitted to contemplating suicide in the month of June. The levels of suicide tendencies in, among all age groups quadrupled during the summer months of this year because of isolation, separation, being apart from others, being out of the norm, and experiencing the fears that have been brought on from the news media and from the, the situation that we're facing with this particular pandemic. Now, let me tell you what this sermon is not. This sermon is not diagnostic. I'm not trying to diagnose you with depression or suicidal thoughts. There's really not a perfect analogy between what Jeremiah went through in his day and what we're going through in our day. But there are some very important things that Jeremiah indicates... He was a person who was isolated because of his ministry. He was separated from people. He was put down in a cistern. He experienced persecution. He was ignored. He was rejected. He argued with God about his situation. And his situation drove him to some very powerful and personal conversations with God. And what this sermon can be, I think, and it's one of the reasons why I believe I, was felt, I felt led to preach through the book of Jeremiah, is Jeremiah's emotional state, his psychological state throughout much of his ministry, is an overlap with what many of us are experiencing in terms of separation, anxiety, or isolation. 
And I think Jeremiah teaches us how to deal with some of these things if we'll look at them through the lens of Scripture and a conversation with God. The title of the sermon is this, Courage and Complaint. Courage and complaint, the testimony of an authentic prophet. The fact that Jeremiah courageously obeyed God, but he also complained about some things. And he offers us several principles, five principles, as we look at a variety of laments or confessions that Jeremiah uh, placed before God in, in prayers. We're going to look at several of those. Uh, they end in chapter 20, but there are four or five different places where Jeremiah confessed, he lamented, he conversed with God, and we're going to see some different principles play out in those confessions that I think, if we will let God speak to us, might help us in the situation we find ourselves in. The first one comes from chapter 8, verse 18, and this is an interesting admission from Jeremiah. He wrote this to God, My joy is gone. My grief is upon me. My heart is sick within me. Now, any of you felt that way recently? That you just can't put a smile on your face? That you're so anxious and frustrated? Well, Jeremiah felt that way at different times. He goes on to write, Behold the cry of the daughter of my people from the length and breadth of the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger? Their carved images and their foreign idols. The harvest has passed. Summer is ended and we're not saved. For the wound of the daughter of my people is my heart wounded. I mourn, I dismay, and dismay has taken hold of me. And then he asks this question, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is the health of the daughter of my people not been restored? Principle number one is this, the reality principle. Suffering is real and we are going to experience difficulties in life. Jeremiah's calls for this lament was in witnessing the judgment or the coming judgment upon his people. And the fact that he had preached to them and they failed to repent, they ignored God's message, they ignored him, he was isolated and separated, and they didn't want to have anything to do with the message that he preached. They didn't want to have anything to do with the God who was inviting them to repent, and it tore Jeremiah up. It was heartbreaking for him to watch the people of God have an opportunity to right themselves with God and then to reject that opportunity because they wanted to go their own way. And he suffered as a result. He suffered grief. Later on, we're told, uh, Jeremiah's told that he's not to marry. He's not to have children. He's to go through a time of separation from others. I mean, Jeremiah went through some really challenging things. God even told him, Jeremiah, when I called you, you're going to face difficulty, but I'm going to protect you through it. But he never promised him that his life would be easy. In fact, if you look at the testimony of Scripture, folks, God never makes a promise that he is going to smooth our path in front of us. God never makes a promise to us that he's going to wipe away all grief from our situations. God never makes a promise that he's going to keep us uh, on the easy road. God never makes a promise to us that we're going to go through life without suffering. In fact, suffering is a very real thing. Jeremiah went through it, and folks, we're going to go through it. 
If it's not cancer, maybe it will be heart disease. If it's not cancer or heart disease, maybe it'll be the grief of a poorly or, uh, of a child or a grandchild that rejects God and you're praying for their salvation and you're praying for them because they've run away from God. If it's not that, maybe it'll be, it will be financial difficulty. If it's not that, for so many of you that are listening today, it's just simply the fact that you can't talk to your friends in person. It's simply the fact that you have wanted to be around others. You thrive in a social environment, and your children and your grandchildren and your neighbors are saying, you come out of that house, I'm going to be mad at you because I don't want you around other people for your safety. And that is right and helpful, but you are boxed in or feel boxed in, and you're suffering. Folks, let me tell you something. I wish I could give you a different answer. The reality is suffering is real. And in this life, we're going to experience difficulties. It's going to happen. But I'm thankful, and we all ought to be thankful, that there is a balm in Gilead. Maybe not to solve the issue we're in in this moment, but there is a life where there is no suffering. That's an eternal life where we're with God, and there's a promise, and there's a hope, and there's a security, and there's a peace going forward. But we need to recognize the reality principle. And if any preacher, any teacher, anybody telling you that we all ought to just get over it, smile, and it'll be better, or, or, or God's going to make it all go away, let me tell you something. God doesn't make that promise. We need to deal with things not as we want them to be, but deal with things as they are. That's the reality principle. Uh, if you will, turn with me to chapter 12, verse 6. This is the perspective principle. This is Jeremiah makes a complaint to God. Um, He makes a complaint because God talked to him, and God said, Jeremiah, there's some folks in your hometown in Anathoth that are uh, after you. They're going to try to take your life. And God was telling him that because he was telling him that he was going to protect him through it. Um, But think about that. People in Jeremiah's own hometown were out to get him, to imprison him, and to kill him. So Jeremiah complained to God. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. Yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? You plant them and they take root. They grow and produce fruit. You're near in their mouth and far from their heart. But you, O Lord, know me. You see me and test my heart toward you. Pull, Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land mourn and the grass of the field wither? For the evil of those who dwell in it, and the beasts and the birds are swept away because they said, He will not see our latter end. This is Jeremiah complaining to God about, Hold on a second, God. You called me. I'm doing your work. I'm preaching your message. I'm telling what you've said, and I'm not the one prospering. When I look around, all of these folks that are out to get me, they're the ones prospering. Why is that? He's asking a question Habakkuk asked. He's asking a question Job asked. He's asking a question the psalmist asked in Psalm 73. God, why is it that you're allowing all of those terrible, wicked people to win? What's the deal here, God? You're not dealing with the people who are sinful and wicked. And folks, if we're Christians and we're honest, we look out around us, and it looks as if all the people that have all the wrong motives and are out for all the wrong things, they're the ones who are prospering. They're the ones who are getting by. They're the ones who, it's not affecting them. They're not struggling like we are. I want you to notice God's answer to Jeremiah. Verse 5, God said, If you have raced with men on foot and they have reared you, how will you compete with horses? 
And if in a safe land you're so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of Jordan? This is the perspective principle. When things are difficult, we need to see things from a divine perspective. Now, at first glance, that statement that God asked Jeremiah, that, that, that questioning of, of Jeremiah, uh, seems a little harsh. In fact, God loves to answer questions with questions. He does so with Job. Jesus did that all over the New Testament with the religious leaders. And here he does it with Jeremiah. Jeremiah, here's what God's saying. Jeremiah, uh, if you get tired when you run with men, what are you going to do when you run with horses? You ever tried to outrun a horse? I love horses. I really do. I've got some friends of mine that love horses. And, and when I was a teenager, I enjoyed actually helping a gentleman out who owned horses. And I cleaned stalls and I brushed horses and, and gave him baths and got to ride him every now and then. Love horses. I can't outrun a horse. You can't outrun a horse. And that's the point. What God is saying is, Jeremiah, if you're tired now, just wait. It's going to get a whole lot worse. That doesn't sound encouraging, does it? No, it doesn't sound encouraging, but we need to see things not from our lens, but from God's. And that's what God's telling Jeremiah. He's saying, listen, you need to have a divine perspective on things. You need to recognize, Jeremiah, that my plan is bigger than the things that you're going through. And that's really the biggest point. The things we're going through are not primarily, get this, the things we're going through are not primarily about us. They're not. They're about God glorifying Himself in the world in which we live. And God is out for bigger things. He's out, in Jeremiah's case, for the repentance of a people. He's out, in their case, because they refuse to repent, to bring judgment upon a people. Do you realize that God loves you and cares about you deeply, and He cared about Jeremiah, and He invited Jeremiah to know Him, and we're going to talk about some of how that worked, but the things that Jeremiah went through weren't about Jeremiah being good or bad, or being a good preacher or a bad preacher, or God hating Jeremiah. God wanted Jeremiah to see that things were bigger. Things are going on in the world that are far bigger than, the, than sometimes the things we make complaints and frustrations. We need a divine perspective. Get it, make, it, make it clear. The last time you complained about something, was it a big thing or a little thing? Pretty much all the things I complain about are little things. Right? How loud my kids are in the house. Or the fact that, uh, you know, they can never turn off a light. I mean, every light in our house is on all the time. They come in the house and the doors are left wide open for every bug, animal, or thing to fly in or swing. And that, that's what I complain about, among other things. But do you realize how important any of those things are? They are supremely minor. And what God is telling Jeremiah is, listen, Jeremiah, you need to see things from my perspective. You need to see the bigger picture. And one of the beautiful things about this book, this book that we're studying right now, is it reminds us that there are bigger things going on in Jeremiah's day when he was preaching to the people. And as we look out around our world, it looks like it's falling apart, and it looks like things are in chaos, and it looks like nobody can get along, and things are frustrating, and we're, we're the ones dealing with the frustration of it. We need to see things from a bigger perspective, a divine perspective. It'll help us work through what we're facing. That's the perspective principle. 
Let's look at the courage principle. This is in, found in chapter 15. This is another one of Jeremiah's complaints. Notice how he begins this in verse 10. Woe is me, my mother that you bore me, a man of strife and contention of the whole land. I have not lent or I have borrowed, yet all of them curse me. The Lord said, Have I not set you free for their good? Have I not pleaded before you, uh, for you before the enemy in the time of trouble, in the time of distress? Can one break iron and iron from the north and from bronze? Basically what Jeremiah said, and he said this on a number of occasions, chapter 20 as well, I wish I hadn't been born. This is so bad. Nobody listens, nobody cares. Not only do they not listen, they don't care, but they want to persecute me and they want to arrest me and they want to imprison me. And this isn't, this isn't really what I thought I was signing up for when I became your prophet, God. And I just wish that my mom hadn't, hadn't had me. I've wished a lot of things in my life, but I've never actually gone that far to wish that. But that's what Jeremiah said. This is the courage principle. How do you get courage? How do you get courage? How do you get joy? How do you sustain that when you're going through something that makes you wish you weren't even in the world? And some of you may have experienced such pain and isolation and depression or suicidal thoughts where that was your wish. How do we experience joy? I want you to notice this. Look over in, in verse 16. Jeremiah said this, Your words were found, and I ate them. Your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I'm called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I did not sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because your hand was upon me, for you had filled me with indignation. Jeremiah said, and this is one of the rare moments in the book of Jeremiah where he actually talks about some good news. Most of the time he is preaching judgment, preaching repentance, saying, if you'll turn, you'll experience good news. But this is Jeremiah in his weeping, sad state, acknowledging, I had a moment of joy. I had an experience where where your words were a joy to me, God. And here's the courage principle. To experience joy and act with courage, we need to depend on God's word. I'm going to tell you something that is supremely simple. But it's borne out in Jeremiah's words here, and it's borne out through all of Scripture. If you want to have courage and joy and peace in what you read and in what you hear and in what you listen to, then what you read, hear, and listen to needs to be God's Word. God's Word is designed to bring us into a right relationship with Him. It's designed to help us see past our daily experiences and see things that are permanent and see things that are glorious and see things that are bigger than we are. I promise you, if you read the news, you will not be filled with joy, peace. You'll be filled with anxiety. The news media is designed to, to, to kind of make us fearful and anxious. And if you read all that all the time, then guess what you're going to do? You're going to be anxious and your palms are going to sweat and your heart's going to beat faster. And all of the things that we're frustrated by, all of the things that are discouraging, are just going to ramp up. I'm not saying ignore the news. I'm saying you want joy and you want courage? Read less of the news and more of God's Word. Get in something that is permanent and get in something that matters. In fact, God kind of uh, chides Jeremiah a little bit. And I think this is a good word for you and me today. 
Notice what he says in verse 19 of chapter 15. Therefore, thus says the Lord, If you return, I will restore you, and you shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth, and they, they shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They'll fight against you, but they'll not prevail over you, for I'm with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. I'll deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. One question that may come to your mind as we work through these laments and these cries is, what does God think about Jeremiah saying, I wish I'd never been born? What does God think when, when Jeremiah accuses God of deceit in chapter 20? And we'll look at part of that in a moment. What does God think when Jeremiah cries out about all the injustice that he's faced? Let me tell you something about God. God is not intimidated by your cries and your laments and your frustrations. He knows. If you're mad at God, you might as well tell him because he already knows what's in your heart. He's sovereign and he is omniscient. He knows everything and he knows all. He knows when you hate him. He knows when you don't like him. He knows when you're not getting along. He knows when you're mad. Some of you married couples, you know exactly what that's like. You know what it's like to walk home and you, your spouse is angry at you. Or you're angry at your spouse and there's this coldness and coolness there. You know what that's like, right? And you might as well deal with it and get it, get it dealt with because it's not going to move on. You're not going to be able to move on until that's dealt with. Well, God knows. He's not surprised that you're angry, frustrated, disappointed. You know what He wants? He wants to hear from you. That doesn't mean He's going to approve of your opinion. He didn't with Jeremiah. He said to Jeremiah, listen, you need to return to me. Jeremiah, you need to stop wallowing in a place of self-pity. You need to have some courage and you need to experience some joy. And how do you do that? We return to God. I'm going to give you that invitation in a moment to turn to Him, to seek Him, to come back to Him, to seek a right relationship with the living Lord who cares about your emotional state, who cares about where you are and what you're going through. He's inviting you to trust and to know Him, but to experience joy... To experience courage, get in his word. I had a Bible college professor who taught a counseling class, an interesting professor, really odd man, a pastor, but he made an interesting observation. He said in all of his years counseling people in his church, he hardly ever counseled anybody about a spiritual issue that came to him that said they were reading God's Word daily. Nearly every spiritual, sinful, or supremely emotional situation that he counseled, when he asked the question, are you in God's Word regularly? You know the answer? The answer was no. Here's the point. Reading God's Word will not solve everything you're going through. It won't fix all your emotional problems or your physical problems but it will help you grow closer to a living God, which will make a difference in almost every situation that you're facing. You want courage? You want to face tomorrow the unknown, the isolated situation that you're in with courage and with joy? Then God has given us a direct invitation to read His Word. You say, Pastor, I don't know that I have time. Well, put your phone down for a while. Turn the TV off. Stop focusing on all those other things for a little bit. I know some of you are like me. You just loved this past weekend because football was on. Sports were on. And there's nothing wrong with watching sports. It, it, it kind of brings you back to a little bit of normalcy. 
But if that's getting in the way of you reading God's Word, turn it off. Read God's Word. You want courage and joy? To experience joy and act with courage, we need to depend on God's Word. Read it, study it, memorize it, think on it, meditate on it. Uh, I'll, I'll just be honest with you. There have been some times here in this um, six months where I've struggled. I've felt anxious and unsure and uncertain and what decision do I make? And, and you know the best thing that ever happened to me in these last few months? I stopped reading the news every day and I started focusing on the study of God's Word again. Not that I wasn't earlier, but I, I put, my, put my heart back into this. You know what God did? He gave me a sense of courage, a sense of joy that wasn't always there during this. Okay, I'll stop meddling. Here's the complaint principle. Now, I won't stop meddling. This is a big deal right here. Listen to this. Chapter 17, verse 14. Jeremiah prays, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. That's our memory verse, by the way, for this month. I would encourage you to memorize this one, to think on it, to dwell on it. It's Jeremiah's cry to God. God, in this situation, will you heal me? In this situation, will you rescue me? For you are my praise. You are worthy of my worship. He goes on, Behold, they say to me, Where is the word of the Lord? Let it come. I have not run away from being your shepherd, nor have I desired the day of, uh, day of sickness. You know what came out of my lips. It was before your face. Be not a terror to me. You are my refuge in the day of disaster. Let those be put to shame who persecute, you, persecute me. But let me not be put to shame. Let them be dismayed, but let me not dis be dismayed. Bring upon them the day of disaster. Destroy them with a double destruction. Uh, sometimes we're troubled by the fact that Jeremiah is praying against his enemies. I'm not sure that's our best course of action. I'm not sure that we ought to pray for the destruction of those who are different than us or think differently than us politically or, or in, in terms of the way we move about our life morally or ethically. But Jeremiah prayed that. Why? Because he saw that they were walking in wickedness and he prayed that. But I want you to notice who Jeremiah was praying to. He was praying to the Lord. And here's the complaint principle. Complain up where your laments might do some good. Complain up where your laments might do some good. Jeremiah does this. At least five different occasions uh, up until chapter 20, there's a section that is entitled A Lament of Jeremiah or A Complaint of Jeremiah or A Confession of Jeremiah. And do you know who he's not talking to? He's not talking to the people in those complaints. He's not talking to his neighbor in those complaints. It, you know, it's written down for our benefit. Thank goodness it is. But he's talking up. He's talking to God. He's complaining up. He's not complaining out, and he's not complaining down. He's complaining up, where his laments might do some good. You realize why that is? Because the reality is only God can really fix the things that we are worried about and we're dealing with. Now, uh, some of you know a complainer or two, or maybe more than a complainer or two. You know some people that are quite negative, and they're going to tell you everything that's going wrong in their lives. What I find utterly interesting about complainers is those who are known as complainers will complain to anybody about anything. Do you realize how many people can do anything about your situation? Very, very, very few. Here's my point. When we complain down to someone below us in terms of structure 
or organization. Like, for example, if I complain to my children, well, that doesn't help anything. My kids can't do anything about the stuff that I'm complaining about. That doesn't help them, and what does it do? It just basically makes them think, well, dad's complaining. Oh, dad can't handle this stuff. Or if I complain out, you know, my, I complain to my wife sometimes, and she complains to me, and that, that's helpful. There's a communication there. But a lot of times when we complain to each other, it's not really to fix anything. It's just kind of to talk it out. And that can be helpful, okay? But she can't really fix my stuff, and I can't really fix hers. But when we complain up, think about, your, think about a business organization. When you've got a real issue in your job, who do you go to? You go to the boss. You go to the one that can fix it, right? Or, or if you don't go to the one who can fix it, you go to everybody else. And what happens, you may get yourself in trouble in your organization, in your job, because you're complaining to everybody else and you're not going to the person who can solve the issue. What Jeremiah did is what we need to do. Complain up. Go to the one who can fix it. Lament to the one who can solve the issues. I'll never forget, this was a lesson that Dr. Mathis of Mud Creek taught me. He said, don't complain down to, to those who work underneath you, and don't complain out because that doesn't help anything. Complain to a person who can fix it, who can deal with the issue. And it's a beautiful principle, and it should be applied spiritually. Complain up to the Lord. Some of you have some things that are legitimate laments and complaints. Talk to God about them. Pray. Get on your knees. Talk to Him. He can fix them. He can solve them. He may not. I'm telling you, He didn't solve all these with Jeremiah. He didn't pull him out of the difficult situation. He didn't didn't wipe out uh, Jerusalem's enemies. He didn't defeat all of Jeremiah's enemies in one fell swoop. But He heard Jeremiah. He listened to Jeremiah, and He helped Jeremiah through it. So the complaint principle, complain up. Here's the last one, and this comes out of chapter 20. This is the relationship principle. And it's this, while the Lord is truly the only one we need, you and I should be the encouragement to another that you need in your own life. Now this is more a a principle that is uh, out of the negative observation of what happened in Jeremiah's life. In chapter 20, we find that uh, Pasher was a priest who didn't like Jeremiah preaching judgment. In fact, Jeremiah was preaching judgment, and Pasher said, shut up, basically. And he arrested him, put him in stocks, and was imprisoned Jeremiah during this time of difficulty because he didn't like what Jeremiah had to say. And then Jeremiah started complaining about it, praying about it. He said in verse 7, Lord, you've deceived me. This is chapter 20, by the way. Verse 7, Lord, you've deceived me. I was deceived, you're stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I've become a laughingstock every day. Everyone mocks me. I mean, Jeremiah's complaining to God. Again, talking to God about, God, you're the one who deceives me. You're, you're, you're the one who, who has put me in this situation. God hadn't done that. But Jeremiah's talking about how he felt. He's being honest with God. And then he goes on in verse 10. He said, I hear many whispering, terrors on every side. Denounce them. Let us denounce them. Say all of my close friends, Jeremiah said. Even those who were supposed to know him were denouncing him. They were watching for his fall. Perhaps he'll be deceived, and then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore my persecutors will stumble. They'll not overcome me. They'll be greatly ashamed, for they'll not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. If you go back and forth in that section of chapter 20, and for time's sake, we won't read all of it, it's a back and forth. 
between God. Jeremiah's up and Jeremiah's down. And Jeremiah's complaining to God and Jeremiah's praising God. Well, why is that? Well, because Jeremiah's human. He's like you and me. You ever had a day like that? Where everything's good one day? Excuse me. Everything's good in one moment of the day? God is on His throne and we're praising Him. Only to have something fall apart? And, oh, psh, why is this this way? And what's going on? And then, and then we're up again and then we're down again. And do you know how often that has to do with the people around us? That disappoint us and that frustrate us? Maybe it's a work relationship, family relationship. Uh, maybe, maybe it's just watching the news. Maybe it's those outside. We get frustrated by the people around us, discouraged. I think one of the saddest things about this whole environment that we've gone through is the way it has isolated people. That's why depression symptoms are up, because there's so many people that haven't been around other people. And maybe you're like that. Maybe you're listening on the radio. Maybe you're watching. Maybe you haven't been back around people during this whole time, and you're saying, Pastor, preach it. Amen. I feel alone. I feel lonely. I feel separated, and I don't know what to do about it. You're waiting on somebody to make your day by giving you a call. You're waiting on somebody to notice you, to pay attention to you, to hear you, to listen to you. And I'm going to tell you something. We need to do more of that. But here's the challenge. Can you imagine how much more Jeremiah's ministry would have been an encouraged ministry if he had some people around him patting him on the back, picking him up, talking to him, encouraging him, saying, Jeremiah, I know nobody else is listening to your messages, but I'm hearing your messages. I appreciate it. I know nobody else is is with you, But I'm not going to be one of those friends waiting on you to fall. I'm going to be one of those friends waiting on you to support you. I think he had one of those. We'll talk about him later on in the book. But he didn't have many of those. So here's the principle. Don't wait on somebody to encourage you. You be the encouragement to somebody else that you need in your own life. So here's what I'm encouraging every single person to do. Find somebody else that needs a phone call and give them a call. Think about one other person that needs a text message of encouragement and send them a text. Think about one person that needs a note, a handwritten note. Hey, I'm praying for you. I'm thinking about you. I know you're going through something. And let me tell you something. I know as a pastor and I know as a church, there are some of you that are listening and watching that may have missed out on ministry from us. And if you have, man, we're sorry. We really are. We love you and we care about you. But I want to tell you this. Don't wait on somebody else to minister to you. You look for somebody to minister to. We were having this conversation in our deacons meeting recently. We're talking about encouraging others and, and, and giving somebody a call. And one of the deacons said, Hey, listen, if you think about somebody, you just, you just give them a call. You tell them that you're praying for them. And he said, get this. I was more encouraged by the phone call I made than the person was that I called. If you want to experience relational encouragement, then you be the one to take the lead in relational encouragement. Find somebody else to encourage. Find somebody else to build up. Why do we do this? Because we've been invited to come to the Lord. The last, uh, last few months, uh, we've sung an invitation song, Come to Me. We sang it last week. We're going to sing it again in this worship service. It's an invitation to return to Jesus. Here's why. 
Because all of these things that we're going through are bigger than you and me. They are. They're, they're bigger than I can handle. They're bigger than you can handle. You know what Jesus says? He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will take your burden. I'll carry your situation. It's an invitation to repentance. For some of us, the, the, the block that's in our lives, the reason we're so discouraged is because we're not in a relationship with Jesus. We need salvation and forgiveness. And let me tell you something. If that's you, that's you watching or listening, you won't find peace. You will not find permanent peace and joy and comfort until you enter into a relationship with God. God wants you to know Him, and He wants you to talk to Him just like Jeremiah did in honesty. He can handle it. He'll forgive you. He'll receive you. He'll give you peace. Even if He doesn't fix your problems, He'll give you peace in the midst of it like He did with Jeremiah. And I would invite you to trust in Him. I would invite you to enter into a relationship with Him. And Christian, we need to do the exact same thing. Not for salvation, but... Jesus is inviting us to bring our stuff to Him. Do you realize He can handle your isolation? Do you realize He can handle your separation? He can handle your anxiety. He can handle your depression. He can handle your frustration. He can handle your health situation. He can handle your complaints. He's able. The, one, the beautiful thing about Jeremiah's complaints to God... God heard, and God listened, and God received, and God still used Jeremiah. So in this invitation song, sing it like you mean it. Or come to this altar and bring it to God in prayer. Or if you're in your home and you can't bow down on an altar, you bow your head and you say, God, here it is. Here's my stuff. Here's my frustration. Here's my anxiety. Here's my disappointment. Here's my anger. Here it is. Because Jesus is saying, come to me, I can handle it. Stand with me, if you will, as we pray. Lord Jesus, so many times during the last few months, I've been reminded of the things I can't handle. Things that are bigger than me, things that are more than me, things that are beyond me. Lord, I'm glad that nothing that is beyond me is beyond you. I'm glad that no situation I've faced is bigger than a situation you can handle. And Father, as best I can and with as much trust as I can, I bow before you my worries and my fears and my frustrations and my concerns and my complaints, and I trust you to handle them. Ask God for my church, for this church, for those listening, for those watching, for those present. Lord, help us to trust you with our circumstances. Help us to bring it to you and just share it with you, let you hear it, and let you give us the encouragement and the hope that we need to make it through. You invite us to come to you. Lord, help us in this moment to come to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found. 